0: Yale Podcast Network. Welcome to The Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series dedicated to reflection on contemporary religious issues. In this episode, graduate student Emily Judd interviews Yale Divinity School professor John Hare about the relationship between religion and philosophy. Professor Hare argues that philosophy is part of daily life.
1: Whenever we're trying to be clear about what we care about, we're doing philosophy.
0: Professor Hare discusses how different faiths are part of the same intellectual family.
1: The great Christian scholastics in the Middle Ages learned their Aristotle through the Muslim commentators.
0: And Professor Hare talks about working for the U.S. government and disagreeing about human rights with the State Department.
1: The way philosophers and theologians could be helpful in Congress is to lay out, as it were, the middle ground between those very high, very abstract values and the concreteness of policy.
0: Welcome, Professor Hare, to the quadcast.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: So what are the key rational arguments for the existence of God?
1: I think there are three. Uh, One argument is from the existence of the world. Why why should there be anything at all? Uh, One argument is from the, the beauty or order of the world. For me the best argument is from morality and the question why should we try to be morally good what in the end is the justification for the moral demand
0: and you actually wrote a book titled why bother being good question mark yes exploring why humans should act morally And it brought to mind this famous quote that I've heard many times, quote, I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike (laughs) and asked God for forgiveness. Uh, hmm. So especially in the religion of Christianity with its emphasis on forgiveness, what's the point of being good, of acting morally?
1: I, I don't think the question should be, what's the payoff for being moral? Um, the, the question should be, what is the justification for being moral? And in my view, in the end, the justification is obedience. It's because God tells us to live that way, and we want to be obedient to God.
0: And what do you think is the proper relationship between faith in reason. Is it a mutually dependent relationship? Or does the word faith somehow imply a trust that does without reason?
1: I don't think so. I I don't think that faith does without reason. I don't think humans can do without reason. (laughs) We are rational animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way I like to put it is from Augustine, I believe so that I might understand and uh, that there are some things we can understand through believing that we wouldn't be able to understand without that. Uh, And that doesn't cut off the reason from faith. It brings them very closely together.
0: And for a religion to be considered authentic, to what degree should it be able to provide answers to fundamental philosophical questions like the ultimate meaning of life?
1: I, I don't think that religion gives answers in, in the sense of tying everything up neatly. <laughs> um, I think that religious people still have questions, deep questions, like Mother Teresa, uh, deep questions about God and about the world. But what religion does is to give you a frame for those questions. So that when you ask those questions, you're bringing in the whole of experience. Uh, And human experience is religious experience. Uh, Religion is utterly pervasive in human society. And so when we ask these questions from a religious point of view, we bring in that framing.
0: You teach a class, um, and it's called the Philosophy of Religion? I do. Do you evaluate religion based on philosophy?
1: Yes. But it's not as though philosophy is neutral ground (laughs) where we could bring all the religions and evaluate them uh, without any prior commitments. I don't think there is any neutral ground in that way. But what philosophy does is it explores questions like what is the good human life or what is the relationship between God and time. Questions like this, which arise in the religions, but the religions don't settle them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and philosophy gives us some equipment for thinking more deeply, more pervasively about those questions.
0: Are there any philosophical methods that um, we can apply to our daily lives?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I think the reason I went into philosophy (laughs) when I was uh, an undergraduate and I was wondering what to do with my life. And I thought of lots of things. I thought of being a lawyer or a diplomat. But I found that philosophy helps you be clear about the things you care most about. And I think that's very valuable, that kind of clarity. and we can apply that, You don't. we don't have to have a PhD to do that. <laughs> I think whenever we're trying to be clear about what we care about, we're doing philosophy.
0: One of my favorite theologians is the medieval Muslim imam, al-Ghazali, whose most famous book is called The Incoherence of the Philosophers. He argues that religion and philosophy are at odds and he rejects the Greek philosophers entirely. Al-Ghazali didn't believe in the reconciliation of religion and philosophy. What do you make of that?
1: He was uh, followed by um, Averroes, uh, or Ibn Rushd,
0: mm-hmm. another who wrote Muslim a book called the,
1: the, the... Yes, he, he, uh, another Muslim theologian who wrote about the incoherence of the incoherence. <laughs> in <other> words, <laughs> the response. Was, this was the response. But I think within the Muslim world... Al-Ghazali won that battle. Um, and I, I regret that because there was a, a great tradition of Muslim philosophy that, that got lost. Um, but w- one thing I, I, I've been discovering and partly through my, my, my students um, is that the great Christian scholastics in the Middle Ages learnt their Aristotle through the Muslim commentators mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so th- actually that tradition didn't die. Uh, it, it, it got another life mm-hmm. um, and we're the beneficiaries of that and I, I think the more we study that the more we will see that the Abrahamic faiths belong in a single intellectual family.
0: So I- is it possible do you believe to, to reconcile philosophy and religion?
1: So I don't See those actually as independent. Uh, so when I think about my own religious tradition, which is Christian, when I look at the Christian scriptures, when I look at the Book of Hebrews, when I look at the Gospel of John, I see philosophy is already there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, I I uh, I think the idea that Athens and Jerusalem have nothing. To do with each other is a mistake right from the beginning. Uh, that and, and the same is true about some of the Hebrew scriptures and 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 the wisdom literature. There's a lot of philosophy in there already.
0: Now, you mentioned the Gospel of John. The beginning of the Gospel of John appropriates the Greek philosophical concept of logos, which is the Greek term for word. Logos is applied to Jesus, that is to say that Jesus is logos. Does religion give up too much when it uses philosophical terms?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Um, First of all, when we say logic in the modern sense, that means formal logic. And that's not what the Gospel of John is talking about. (laughs) Logos or word. Logos also means account or explanation uh, or reason. Uh, And to say that Jesus, the second person, to say that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the logos. Is to say that Christ is the origin and the destination of everything, the the fundamental explanation of everything. Uh, And um, I don't think that limits Christianity. I think it would limit it if we said, That's the whole story. <laughs> Jesus is the Logos and nothing else. Mm-hmm. But actually, John goes on to tell us a lot about the life of Jesus. Uh, and in the, in the great philosophers like uh, Thomas Aquinas, you've got the doctrine of, of God as the Logos uh, in what he calls the five ways, which is about two pages of the great Summa Theologiae and then you've got hundreds of pages of the rest. So it's not as though the philosophy is giving you the whole thing. If you said philosophy was giving you the whole thing, that would be too limiting, Mm -hmm. but we shouldn't say that.
0: And this spring semester, you are teaching a course on the theology of Plato and Aristotle with the idea that these Greek philosophers can be used as sources for Christian reflection. Saint Clement of Alexandria argued that Greek philosophy was relevant only and that it prepared the way for Christianity. He famously asked, who is Plato but Moses speaking in Greek? What do the Greek philosophers offer for Christian reflection that's not already found in the tradition?
1: Mm. So going back to my earlier answer, mm-hmm. I don't think we should see these as totally independent entities. I think philosophy and religion are already enmeshed with each other, Um, but what does philosophy add? Well, if we want to think about questions like, I mentioned like God and time, or what kind of freedom do we have? Or what is the best human life? These sorts of questions. Then philosophy has a lot of subtle distinctions and a lot of equipment to think about these things more clearly. Mm-hmm. If the goal is clarity, philosophy gives us some, some techniques, some tools for doing that better.
0: Let's say that I was having an existential crisis yes. <laughs> in my life. Um, what You mentioned before a question, a theo, uh, philosophical question that I could ask myself, but is there a structure? How do I evaluate that? I'm answering these philosophical questions correctly.
1: How do you evaluate that? Well, you have to think about your own reason, uh, are you making sense to yourself? Then you have to check with other people. <laughs> are you making <laughs> sense to anybody else? And, and to, the, to, the, to the whole tradition of reflection about these questions because these questions never arise in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always a social and political context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need to, to, to be aware that when we use this language of freedom or, or rights or or, or time, when we use these terms, the history of reflection is built into the terms. Mm. Uh, we're entering into a conversation when we use that language.
0: Now, you've been involved in the field of international relations and working for the Foreign Affairs Committee of the US House of Representatives. Can you talk about that work and how theologians can assist politicians
1: Yes. I was working for the House Foreign Affairs Committee uh, on Europe and the Middle East. Uh, and uh, I wrote legislation. And wow. I, I Which I, legislation? <laughs> <laughs> Do I like it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I wrote legislation about funding Americans to go and live in, in Russia and Russians wow. to live in the United States. Wow. Um, which passed actually. Uh, And this was was under Reagan a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so I worked on the nuclear freeze resolution and I worked on uh, foreign assistance, assistance from the United States to Central America. Um, What does a a philosopher or a theologian contribute? Well, politics operates with values. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Often there are values in conflict with each other Uh, and uh, let me just use that one example from under Reagan um, of foreign assistance to Central America. I worked for the House of Representatives. They wanted the administration to certify that all recipients of US assistance were abiding by human rights. (laughs) <laughs> and and then we had to spell out what what are human rights, mm. and we had a disagreement with the State Department uh, about what human rights amount to. These are philosophical questions, and it needs somebody who understands the conceptual map mm-hmm. to do that well, to 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 lay out what the what the what these concepts are and where they conflict. Uh, so I I think that. The way philosophers and theologians can be helpful in Congress is to lay out, as it were, the middle ground between those very high, very abstract values and the concreteness of policy. (laughs) There's a middle ground there, and I think that's where philosophers and theologians can be helpful.
0: You are the son of the late distinguished Oxford philosopher R.M. Hare. Growing up, did you feel pressure to follow your father's footsteps into the field of philosophy?
1: That's a difficult question. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I think I probably did because um, my father wasn't really interested in us until we reached what he called the age of reason, um, which he thought was six years old <laughs> when we could talk philosophy with him. <laughs> and so if I wanted to have time with my dad, I had to talk philosophy. Wow. Uh, and that's been, the voice in my ear, his voice I hear all the time. Uh, but I have also strong disagreements with him. And uh, I just want to mention one, that he cared too much for academic prestige. <laughs> and he, he was very famous uh, in his 40s. And then gradually, people stopped reading his work. And his life was made bitter by this. I, and in my case, just two months ago, um, my wife was diagno- diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And I've been spending most of my time looking after her. But it's made me think academic prestige is not that important. <laughs> it's not worth basing my life around.
0: And. Our final question, is it possible for a person to follow the teachings of Christ as a philosophy but not a religion and still consider that person a Christian?
1: That's a very difficult question. If you mean by a philosophy there, just an ethics, so that we treat Christ as a moral teacher only and not as the Son of God, then in my view, that's not being Christian. Uh, I think that to be a Christian, you have to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the Lord part (laughs) is like an ethical teacher, but the Savior part (laughs) involves more than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say, if that's what you mean by following christ as a philosophy then that's not enough
0: mm. is there one ph- philosophical question that keeps you up at night
1: i my my my, my next book if i live so long <laughs> is about a good human life what makes a human life a good human life and what does being a christian have to say about that I, so I think that's been the motivating question for most of my life.
0: Well, Professor Harrod, thank you so much for joining the quadcast today.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it.